Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of your labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the one be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand for our gospel reading. Matthew seven twenty four to 27. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel of Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise one who built their house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish one who built their house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew against it, that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. The Gospel of Christ. Let's remain standing as we bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word through which you speak to us and reveal yourself to us. So I pray in light of that truth that I as preacher would just get out of the way far, far less of me and far, far more of you. That your people gathered this day would be edified, your son Jesus glorified. For we ask this in his name. Amen. Would you be seated please? In 2009, the world faced the biggest economic downturn since the Great Depression. Markets collapsed, investments cratered, jobs were lost. The cause? A burst U.S. housing bubble fueled by subprime lending alongside the unregulated sale of mortgage-backed securities. Others looked for a cause away from the financial sector. In an article in The Atlantic, Hannah Rosen laid some of the blame at the feet of the church. She told the stories of new immigrants in the pursuit of the American dream, drawn to churches that were preaching a prosperity gospel, a message of health and wealth. God wants you to be rich, to have your best life now to own your own home, and believing that God was with them in their pursuit, caution was thrown to the wind, homes were purchased with no means to carry the debt, but they had faith. Lenders capitalized on it. Wells Fargo developed a sales strategy. They would go to churches and offer wealth-building strategy seminars. 
telling pastors that for every person who took out a mortgage with them, they would donate $350 to the church. And when questioned about the connection between prosperity gospel preaching and such financial recklessness, one pastor responded, Ten Christians will say that God told them to buy a house. Nine of them, it'll go bad. The tenth is the real Christian. Prosperity preaching has a quick answer when things don't work out. You didn't have enough faith, so believe harder, pray more. And research suggests that to varying degrees, a majority of American Christians believe it. I suspect many of us will shake our heads. How can that pass itself off as, as Christianity putting a God stamp on the American dream? Come on now. But I wonder if we're enmeshed in a subtler version of a prosperity gospel. If an alien race were to come and study our nation, asking the question, what is human life all about for Canadians, what answer would be readily apparent? Most of our growing up years are spent getting an education, the best that we can possibly get. Why? So we can get a good paying job. And once we're situated to attract the most desirable life partner, we get married, buy a house, have some kids, add a dog, pay off the mortgage, get the kids situated, plan for retirement. The sooner, the better. And then life centers around leisure, the vacations, the second property. We take good care of our health so we can enjoy that life for as long as we possibly can and then have a little bit left over so that we can pass it on to the kids to give them a head start in the same thing. Rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. And these are the aspirations of the average Canadian. And do we not put a God stamp on such aspirations? Of course we do. Well, what do we say when someone around us achieves such a reality? We say, you're blessed. You're blessed. As I was reflecting this week, I, I wondered if this is part of the reason that the church can be a particularly difficult place for the single, the divorced, the childless, the jobless, the poor. Because we not only pursue this life like everyone else around us, we put a God stamp on it. Here are the signs of a blessed life. That not your life? Well, perhaps something's missing from your spiritual life as well. New York Times columnist Ross Douthat, in his book, Bad Religion, How We Became a Nation of Heretics, reflects on this marriage of Christianity with prosperity thinking. He says, like any heresy that has traction, it resolves one of the tensions in orthodoxy by emphasizing one part of Christian doctrine at the expense of others. In this case, it rightly points out that every good thing is a gift from God, but effaces the harder teachings that are meant to balance that out, the dangers of a love of money the reality of ill-gotten gain, the call for solidarity with the poor. 
such prosperity teaching resonates deeply with the working and middle classes who are constantly striving for the security of more. For it tells us that such striving is in accordance with God's plan rather than a risk to our very souls. As Ross puts it, it is a way to reconcile Christian faith with the demands and temptations of late modern capitalism. Now, why have I begun today's sermon with such a reflection? Well, our psalm today sounds like a proof text for such thinking, doesn't it? I mean, you can almost see one of the celebrity pastors of prosperity teaching Joel Osteen with his perfect hair and his pearly white smile in his press suit saying, See, see, Psalm 128. God wants you to have your best life now, to increase the fruit of your labor, to enlarge your home life, to have children that are brimming with potential, to bless us with a long, happy, and healthy life. Now, is that what Psalm 128 is all about? Let's take a look. I'll invite you to either turn in your Bibles or your Bible apps, or there's a pew Bible in front of you, and you can find it on page 573. As we continue uh, to join with ancient pilgrims singing, reflecting on these psalms of ascent, which is an ancient process of formation, as we learn with them to live God's way in God's world, to go where God is calling us in Jesus. As we ascend together this Lent, to celebrate the Easter feast. Now verse 1 and 4 both affirm the main truth of this psalm. And the surrounding verses simply illustrate it. So it is into that main truth that we will drill down. Verse 1. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. You want blessing? Well that flows from fear. That's one of the oddest turns of phrase, isn't it? And I think it immediately makes us think, how can being scared of God bring us blessing? How can worrying, if I step out of line, God's going to get me, have any positive impact on my life? My first job as a youth pastor, I was meeting regularly with one of our youth leaders, Fraser, who was a high school teacher. And we were reading through the Bible together, and we kept coming across this phrase, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. And he asked me, what does that phrase even mean? I said, I'm not sure I fully know, but why don't we try and discover that together? And so between our breakfasts together, we went away and we read every occurrence in the Bible where that phrase showed up. Now many of the phrases come from the Psalms and the Proverbs and follow the same pattern that it does here. Blessed, happy is the one who fears the Lord. Now either the author of Proverbs or the psalmist has a very warped sense of what it means to be happy or fear of the Lord means something different than the fear of punishment. Indeed so. Psalm 130. But with you, God, there is a forgiveness that you might be feared. Psalm 147. The Lord takes pleasure 
in those who fear him. Another way to say that, the psalmist says, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Fraser and I discovered that when the biblical writers use fear, they mean that when we encounter God, when we come face to face with his attributes, his forgiveness, his love, his grace, his beauty, his justice, we are rightly moved with awe, wonder, reverence. Some of you might be thinking, well, you've just made fear sound rather sentimental and gushy. Replacing it with emotions and postures that are are rather divorced from how we regularly experience fear. And yes, a true encounter with God and his attributes will bring up within us what we call fear. When I was in university, my summer job was tree planting in northern B.C., And I remember one day that our our foreman left us to go and prepare the next clear cut for our replanting efforts. And at the end of the day, he came back and he picked us up in the truck and he was just brimming, bubbling over with excitement like a a kid in a candy store. He said, you got to see what I've seen today. And so we piled in the truck and instead of driving us home to the camp for dinner, he drove us to the clear cut. We stopped the truck and we opened the doors And immediately we heard this deafening roar. We walked across the clear cut to the back and coming up over the rise, we were met with one of the most breathtaking scenes I have ever beheld. The waterfall is tons and tons of river water were cascading down into this, this cavernous area, crashing upon the rocks below. And as we watched, there was awe and wonder, but there was also fear. And while the waterfall had no intention to do me harm, as I stood there, I couldn't help but fear the power that I was beholding. It could have swept me away as if I were but a feather that could have pulverized me as if I were nothing. And if that fear were present in that moment, how much more so in the presence of the one who made it, the one who's flung stars into space, the one who guides the courses of the galaxies. As Eugene Peterson puts it, the Bible speaks about the fear of the Lord not to scare us, but to bring us to awesome attention before the overwhelming grandeur of God to shut up our whining and chattering and stop our running and fidgeting so that we can really see him as he is and listen to him as he speaks his merciful life-changing words of forgiveness. To fear the Lord is to let God be God. In our exploration, Fraser and I also discovered something else. The fear of the Lord always led to something. It always led to obedience. It always led, as the psalmist says here, to walking in his ways. Peterson continues his thought. When we fear the Lord, he says, we start doing the things for which we were made. We take a certain route, follow certain directions, do specified things, 
There are ethical standards to follow, moral values to foster, spiritual disciplines to practice, social justice to pursue, personal relationships to develop. Now that's the main truth that the psalmist wants us to apprehend, and it's repeated twice over for emphasis. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Now, what does that look like? Well, the most frequent place in the Bible where that phrase shows up is in Proverbs, wisdom literature. This phrase, then, is a a pointer to the wisdom literature. Now, wisdom literature, as I said just a few weeks ago, arises from a conviction that in creation we see a God who brings order out of chaos, who patterns what is patternless, who forms what is formless. We all know there's a pattern, a fabric that God has knit into physical creation. We can study it and quantify it, and we ignore it to our peril. If an engineer builds a bridge out of step with the fabric of the universe, that bridge is going to fail. Wisdom literature says that just as God has knit a fabric into that physical reality, God has knit a fabric, a pattern, into every other aspect of life. There's a fabric to relationships, to raising children, to good governance, to work. And living in step with that pattern will give us the best chance of success in that area. And God's commands then are in keeping with the way that the world is designed to work. Now the rest of the psalm is essentially giving us examples of the fruit of living in step with the fabric that God has knit into creation. Verse 2. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. Much of biblical wisdom has to do with diligence, hard work, the wise stewardship of resources. Well, notice the promise here is not wealth, not abundance. The promise here is sustenance. If you live in keeping with the pattern that God has knit into creation, your basic needs will be taken care of. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Verse 3. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine in your house, your children like olive shoots. Now, this promise is spoken into a particular culture where there were very clear gender roles. Women raised the children, oversaw the domestic life. I think we often get into trouble when we hear such illustrations. Well, if God spoke into this culture, he must be affirming their cultural distinctives. So, therefore, here's what women should do, and here's what men should do, and here's what marriage should look like. No, no. By hearing such an illustration, we're not meant to conclude this is the way that God has designed men and women to interact and relate. We're meant to conclude that if we live in step with the fabric that God has knit into creation, our domestic, our relational lives will flourish, even if they look very differently today than they did then. For his commands, his wisdom is about forgiveness the use of our tongues, the turning away of anger, the commitment of truth, 
the raising of children. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Verse 5. May you see the prosperity, the shalom, the full flourishing of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Like an ever-expanding circle of impact, the blessing, the fruit of living in step with the fabric that God has knit into creation extends even further. For God has knit a pattern into human society, a pattern of justice, of equality, of interdependence that says the needs of others are my responsibility. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Now our final illustration of that core truth is found in verse 6. May you see your children's children. May you have a long and happy life. Living in step with the fabric that God has knit into creation undergirds health and longevity. S.I. McMillan was a physician, a missionary who wrote a book entitled None of These Diseases. And he was reflecting on his many years as a physician, observing the disintegration of people's material reality when they lived out of step with the fabric that God had knit into creation. For example, in one of his chapters entitled The High Cost of Getting Even, he chronicles the health consequences of harboring anger, bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness. He saw patient after patient that were suffering from intestinal issues and high blood pressure, and the medicine was only treating the symptoms of. His observations as a physician, we're illustrating what H.H. Farmer once said. If you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. In the book, Macmillan goes on to share the physical healing that came about when his patients began to live in step with the fabric that God had knit into creation, press forward with love, forgiveness, reconciliation. In all of these ways and more, blessed is the one who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. So to return to our original question, is this psalm affirming prosperity preaching, putting a God stamp on the American dream? No. Why? Because the American dream is not the pattern that God has knit into creation. Is this psalm affirming our prosperity thinking? Putting the God stamp on the aspirations of the working and middle classes? No. Why? Because those aspirations are not the pattern that God has knit into creation. So begs the question, what is the pattern that God has knit into creation? It is none other than the pattern of the kingdom of God. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, what many call the Kingdom Manifesto, Jesus revealing the patterns of the kingdom, he closes with an image. It was our second reading. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise one who builds their house on the rock. And the rains come and the floods rise and the winds beat, but that house will remain. 
But the one who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them will be like the foolish person who builds their house on sand. And the rains come and the floods rise and the winds beat against it and that house will fall. And great will be the fall of it. Now I've read interpretations of this image. Heard sermons on it. Preached sermons on it. Where I've said, this is what this means. Build your life on the rock that is Jesus. And when the storms of life swirl around you, you will stand, remain secure. And while I think that's a true statement... I don't think I had any business saying that's what Jesus is saying here. You see, this very image is found in the book of Proverbs, where the wise and the foolish person are being compared. The wise are those who are living in step with the fabric that God has knit into creation. The foolish are those who are living in a way that is not in step with that pattern. And Proverbs 10 says, when the tempest passes, the wicked, the foolish, will be no more. But the righteous, the wise, are established forever. And I don't see the storm that either Proverbs or Jesus references in this image as the storms of life. But rather the promise that God is coming in Jesus to judge the earth. To flood the earth with new creation. To bring the fullness of his kingdom to bear. And anything that is not built in keeping with the pattern of the kingdom will be washed away. But at anything that is built in keeping with the pattern of the kingdom will remain. For it is eternal. In 1992... Hurricane Andrew destroyed thousands of homes in South Florida. In one area that was constantly being focused on by the media, it was just devastation. Homes just flattened right to the ground. But there was one home that stood in the midst of it, untouched. A reporter went to the homeowner and asked, how did, how did this happen that your home out of thousands stood? He replied, my house was built exactly to code. When the code called for two-by-six trusses, two-by-six trusses were used. Whatever the code called for, that was what was done. The house was built in step with the fabric that could withstand a hurricane. Similarly, all that is built upon the earth that is in keeping with the fabric of God's kingdom will stand eternal. That which is not will be washed away. So let me ask us, what are we building for? What are we striving for? What are we investing in? And what are we spending our time, our money? What aspirations are we fostering in our children? What plans do you have for your retirement? Anything that is not in keeping with the kingdom will be washed away. And what is built in keeping with the kingdom will remain forever. As we think on such things, thanks be to God that in Jesus there is forgiveness, a new beginning. 
As we think on such things, thanks be to God that in Jesus there is the Spirit forming us in keeping with the patterns of the kingdom. As we think on such things, thanks be to God that in Jesus the power of the resurrection is work in us, making us new. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord. Blessed is the one who encounters the grace, mercy, forgiveness of Jesus and is moved in awe, wonder, reverence, and fear. And from that fear, walks in his ways, lives in step with the patterns of the kingdom. For blessing flows from fear. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.